You are now listening to the January 20th broadcast of Unity in Christ. Today's broadcast includes Christianese 101, Grace Upon Grace, and The Sex Spiral. We will begin with a praise song and follow with our program, Christianese 101. My name is Don Chung, and I'm your host for the Christianese 101 program. Out of the many words we use in church, we have already discussed the words Amen and Hallelujah in the last week. 
today, we will also be talking about a word that is used often. The word is shalom. Have you heard this word used frequently in your church? Many people, especially the people in Israel, say shalom for hello at beginning of a greeting, or have a nice day, shalom, at the end of a parting phrase. Shalom is also used as a salutation in a letter. Shalom is a Hebrew word meaning peace. This is the reason why it is universally used by the Jews in greeting, just like hello in our language. When you hear the word peace, what do you think? To most people, it can signify no wars, no conflict, therefore no worries. To deeply understand the meaning of shalom, it helps to take a look at the book of Judges, chapter 6. The meaning of shalom is first shown in Judges chapter 6, verse 24. By looking at how shalom is used in the context, we will truly understand the meaning of peace. Judges chapter 6, verse 22 through 24 says, Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abysrites. Gideon, who was called to be a judge, meets the angel of the Lord, and he realizes he really was the angel of the Lord. In those times, the Jews believed they would die if they saw the Lord's face or the angel of the Lord, because there were many instances where sinners have died in the presence of the Lord. Therefore, Gideon was afraid that he too would die since he saw the angel of the Lord face to face. However, when God promised him his life, Gideon built an altar at that spot and declared the Lord as peace. This is the reason why shalom signifies peace since the one who was supposed to die lived. A different way is to say there was a harmonious relationship with God and Gideon. After looking at the word shalom, is it easier to understand why Jesus, who came down to earth for us, is the Prince of Peace? We, who were supposed to die because of our sins and became enemies with God through Jesus Christ, we transitioned from death to life. Because of Jesus, we are in a harmonious relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. That is why we must be in the state of shalom where we are harmonious with God within us. How about it? From now on, when you say shalom, remember this meaning and deliver the message of I hope you are harmonious with God. Let us start the day with shalom and end the day with shalom. Shalom!
like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot you have taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. my soul it is well it is well with my soul my sin glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it is well my soul it is well it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. It my soul it is well it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul
Coming up next is a podcast series, The Sex Spiral, led by Pastor Dustin Daniels of Purity Ministry from Phoenix, Arizona. The program addresses sex with biblical grace and truth, without the shock value, and is a resource for anyone looking for biblical answers to pornography, singleness, marriage, family, and children. This program may contain mature language and subject matter. Welcome to God, Sex, and You, a daily discipleship podcast on healthy sexuality. Here's your host, Purity Pastor, Dustin Daniels. Over the past few days, we have set the stage for God's original design on sex. And today we dive into the meat of the series itself. It's called The Sex Spiral, Forgiven and Free from Pornography. And this material is a preview from my new book, which will be released this summer by God's Grace, along with the Ambassador International Publishers. So throughout this series, I'm going to take you through the 12 triggers of pornography addiction. Now, these are not steps. They are triggers. And there's a pretty big difference. And in today's lesson, I'm going to explain what a trigger is and what it means to you. This podcast is part one of two on the first trigger, and it's called awareness. So let's dive in head first with today's lesson. What did we learn last week? Biblical sexuality. You guys learned some stuff? What I kind of got out of it, the biggest thing is I feel like we have such a desire as men towards women because, you know, we're desiring to be complete again, you know? How you're kind of describing how when uh, mankind or humankind, whatever, was all, was first created, I never heard of that before. So that was really interesting to me last week when we kind of found out about Adam or, you know, the, the idea of humanity as kind of one being, physical being, and then from the rib, the complete half of a person, you know, and then mm-hmm. that's when technically Adam became a man and then he became a woman, so... Mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting because I had never heard of it or thought about it that way. So I thought that was cool. And then just the ideas that make perfect sense as to why we're so attracted to them because we have that desire to want to be. To come back together as one, right? The verse that we had was Genesis 1.26. And it says, let us create mankind in our image, which it gives me the impression that mankind was created in the trinity that you were talking about since us and our refers to god the father god the son god the holy spirit Mm -hmm. i when you start really looking at what these english words mean and not that you have to be a hebrew scholar because believe me i'm not but when you start looking at this stuff and really reading and praying and searching and rereading and going, wow, this, this stuff is amazing. And when it comes to biblical sexuality, I mean, holy moly, do we not need to hear that right now as a culture? Because we're so confused about what love is and what sex is for. Well, good. Anything else from the devotions over the week? I wouldn't say I have things necessarily... There's still lessons learned that they're not necessarily based off of the exact devotions. You know what I mean? Just about myself. You know what I mean? Knowing that when I'm tired 
uh, that you're building that short temper, um, that it's, it's still kind of that awareness. And, and even though I've kind of learned it before, I'm becoming a lot more aware of it and realizing how quickly things escalate. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the kind of the cool thing with uh, with the week is what's really good is I think listening to the podcast find myself with the word even more than normal because I feel like, okay, I have to do this stuff. Um, and so it helps with that. So in the past where maybe I would have stumbled, yeah, I had some un- unhealthy self-thoughts because I found myself continuing the word or listening to a podcast or I found that's the, the key to, to me staying away from continuing down that road. Mm-hmm. So now it's something I know that in the future, hey, look, when I, when I am tired, when I am... I eat, ride the motorcycle, get pissed off on the way to work. And I got to realize, hey, I got to stop. Say a prayer, calm down. Right. You know what I mean? Because I see that it snowballs throughout the day if mm-hmm. I don't, you know, make that time, you know, with Christ. Because like I said, it may be about anger right now, but then it ends up morphing into something sexual later on. Right. Because, you know what I mean? Or, or vice versa, really, maybe it's sexual that's mm-hmm. showing itself in anger. Um, kind of, a, it's an awareness I trigger with my wife, and she's kind of aware of it. Um, and I find that with her, when when a trigger's met, no matter how much someone prays for me, no matter what happens, if I don't resolve the issue, I am going to fall. And she's the only trigger I think that I have that I, I feel like I am completely powerless if I do not address her and the issue. Mm. And I, I think I'm learning to, even as difficult, whether it be pride or just that, you know, I feel hurtful about myself or feeling sorry for myself that I don't want to talk to her, I find that as soon as I confront it, it is gone instantly. Mm. Um, and if I don't, even mm. with prayer, even with confession to others, it doesn't fix it. I have to... I'm smiling because you're talking about the exact lesson I'm going to teach tonight okay. about awareness and what Joseph did or, and did not do with Potiphar's wife. This is exactly... It's so cool how God does that. I mean, it's, it's just a perfect transition into, into our lesson. All right, so this week, we are going to move into the actual spiral itself. If you look at your first page, you can look at the spiral inside the workbook there. It contains 12 triggers that are, basically, these are awareness tools for your journey towards your purity inside Jesus Christ. And the first trigger is awareness. So everybody got the worksheet for tonight? So turn to your worksheet. And the first key point there, key point number one, is that awareness is not temptation and it's not a sin. Awareness is just that. It's you're being consciously aware that you're overly sensitive and susceptible to lust. So you are in this moment, you're vulnerable, you're aware, you're susceptible to a a temporary state of weakness. Whether you're standing in line at the grocery store, trying to check out your groceries and you've got Cosmo staring right at you. Right? You know if you continue looking at that image, something is going to happen. That's just simply an awareness. The problem with awareness most of the time is that we're not aware that we're aware. A lot of this stuff is subconscious at this point, especially for you, for you new guys, right? Subconscious. Key point number two. Once I become consciously aware 
that I have a problem with lust, I must make a decision. And this is huge, guys. This is the very moment. This is paramount. Because you're, it's an opportunity for you to be what's called triggered. Something is going to happen if you don't do something different, right? Being aware of something. It could be a song on the radio. It could be a fragrance that you smell. It could be just a random thought that goes through your mind. You're like, whoa, where'd that come from? If I don't do something with that, I'm going to move down the spiral into my unhealthy self-thoughts, which we'll get to next week. But the awareness, the whole key to this is that when you're aware that you, you do something, and I'll get to that here in a second, okay? So the definition of a trigger on your worksheet there is any form of a stimuli that initiates the desire to engage in addictive behavior. Lust is all about desire. It's a trigger, once again, is not temptation, nor is it a sin. But it can certainly lead there when not confessed to a trusted friend. So think of a trigger on a gun. When you pull back the trigger on a gun, something's going to happen, right? And if you've got it pointed in the wrong direction, somebody's going to die. That's why they're called triggers. If you, when that happens, something is going to happen. You have no choice. Key point number three on your worksheet is to exit the spiral, you have two choices. A, flee to physically remove yourself from the situation. Or B, confess. Confess your trigger to a trusted friend. Now keep in mind, this is just a trigger. This is not a temptation. We'll get to temptation two weeks from now. A lot of people go, oh, I was just tempted, so I had to do it. <laughs> this is just the awareness, like I'm vulnerable at this moment. And part of understanding to become a man of valor, a man of God, a man of integrity is understanding where you are exactly inside this spiral and being aware, like, if I don't do something now, I'm really, really vulnerable to moving down the spiral. So I got a question. This fact just happened this weekend. So what is the difference between a trigger and just a memory of what's happened in the past? You don't take it an extra step, mm-hmm. just a memory, or are they synonymous? The memory would be a trigger. The memory would be a trigger. Yeah, okay. right. And the memory being a trigger is what are you going to do? So think about what am I going to do with that? And there are different levels of triggers, right? I mean, every time you're triggered or tempted, we don't have to sin, right? I mean, we don't sin every time we're triggered or tempted. So we know that these things are a choice. And some days are better than others, right? So that thought may have been like, where'd that come from? That's kind of weird. And you go on with your life. But some days that thought will come through and go, ooh, I'm going to marinate on that a little bit. And then all of a sudden I'm marinating on this thing and then I'm checking out my groceries and I got Cosmo staring at me. And then there's a song on the radio. And the checker, she's really cute, and she's smiling at me. Oh, man, am I in trouble. See what I mean? This stuff, you can go through this spiral in a matter of minutes, a matter of weeks, months, or even years. You can, you can stay at one of these things. Me, you know, at the end of my journey, I was going through this thing a half a dozen times a day for years. So the, the idea with key point number three is that you want to flee or you want to confess. You can confess or flee separately or in combination with one another. I was going to say, 
how would you describe like the biggest difference between uh, awareness and temptation? Awareness and temptation. Awareness is that you are consciously aware that if you do not do something with the stimuli at that moment, then you're getting ready to you're getting ready to um, willfully allow yourself to be tempted. So temptation is is think of it as a like I was gonna say like in your kind of example and everything like you're at the store like how when does it go into temptation like when you're you're thinking the whatever you're thinking mm-hmm. and then you see the cosmo and then you see the woman and then you, mm-hmm. you know so when does it go from awareness to temptation? Well, it goes to awareness to unhealthy self thoughts first. So you're like, and once again, a lot of this is is subconscious. Right. So you're like, well, I might as well. Nothing's ever going to change, you know. And we'll get to that here in a second. Um, now, a lot of this. Now, keep in mind, this this thing is a mess. Think of it as a tornado. It's not so much. We called it a cycle last time, and that's fine. But it's. I mean, you can bounce around. I mean, this this thing. Um, so the the temptation is is more of the test itself. It's the, it's think of it as the opportunity to glorify God, or to actually give into it. You know, it, it's through testing that we know that we're being, um, that we're renewing our mind, right? In, in Romans twelve two, um, there is no other way. We have to expect these tests to to come. And I think it's the first, it's the very first awareness that you know that you're in trouble. Does that help a little bit? I know it's kind of confusing. Yeah, it just seems pretty close to the same. Well, the, the trigger, though, is, I mean, keep in mind there's 12 of them. As you go around, it's not just you're not being tempted every time. There's a trigger that leads you down inside the spiral. As you look, as you look at the, the spiral itself on that first page, each one of these is a trigger that brings you closer. So it's not being tempted each time. You're moving into a different level of the sin itself. Now, did you just say that these right here can, because it's a, they can go anywhere? Yeah, I'm not saying that these, it has to follow this pattern every single time. So why number them then? Because this, for the majority of the time, this is, this is what happens. Okay. And I almost think when he was describing uh, that maybe he's thinking the temptation might be a, you, you already failed or, was I understanding you correctly? Um, you, you seemed like you are concerned you had a temptation. No, I wasn't necessarily, like, I was just trying to figure out, like, if it's like, because for, for me, it, it feels like, the temptation is like the first thing. I guess I don't really, I don't really feel like I ever am kind of like aware that it's happening. I feel like it's just like, yeah. bam! All of a sudden, something happens. You know what I mean? And then, like, I feel like I don't even like really go through. I feel like I go kind of do the rationalization before I act, start going into hiddenness and act mm-hmm. out. But like awareness, sh- shame, I and resistance. I don't really feel like I do that. I feel like it goes temptation, rationalization, and then kind of from there. Well, in recovery, most people think temptation. That's when you read most of the books on this stuff. That's where they start. We have to be aware of our of our weakness before we even tempted. Right. That, right. That's, I, I, I guess same, I kind of because um, like with like when you mentioned. Like with us new guys, you know, like we're usually we're not uh, subcon like you say subconsciously uh, aware. So then we don't really know. So so uh, sometimes I think like you can like you'll be past that without even knowing it. And so like in your mind, you may already think like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm at temptation. But if you think about it, 
if you really go back and think about it, you know, the awareness and the, and, uh, the unhealthy thoughts, you, you really already had that, but you just don't really know it. That's why this thing is a good, a good timeline of everything. That's what these arrows are for. For the last time that you've sinned, you can kind of go back and go, okay, what was my, my very first thought? My very first one. And then just start thinking about it. Because that's the awareness that's, that has. Um, when you go back and review and look in the review mirror of the last time I sinned, this thing will open up your eyes like, well, I think I do this, but in all reality, by the time we get done, 12 or 13 weeks later, you're going to be like, oh, I, I get each one of these stages, but I can go through them so fast that I don't even, I'm oblivious to them. Key point number four, the goal of the sex spiral is to exit at this first awareness trigger. The goal of the spiral is to exit at this first awareness trigger. And the reason is because if you don't, the further you get down into the spiral, the harder it is to exit. So think of lust as the red light on your, the dashboard of your car. It's warning you. So think of lust as the red, the red light on the dashboard of your car. It's a warning telling you there's a potential problem, right? Service engine soon light, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Most of us may ignore these things, but is that gonna make your car run better? You may have ignored all the warning signals from God's word. You may have ignored your own guilt. But it didn't make life any better, did it? So in, in other words, you must choose to make a decision. So inside this first trigger, some questions that, that you want to think about is what exactly are you doing at that moment? What are you doing? What specifically are you looking at? What is the image? What are you thinking about? What are you feeling? What are you planning to do? Here you go. What's your motive? What's your intention? What's your desire at this moment? Once we're engaged in this, we go, wait a second. What am I doing? I'm on my phone getting ready. That's the intention of my heart. That's the awareness that we're speaking of. Ultimately, these are all heart questions. The reason that we must flee or confess the side of the trigger is because if you're early inside this journey of, of purity, you just can't think correctly. Your, your mind literally gets flooded with lust and you can't think. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs 7. Proverbs 7, verse 21. So she seduced him with her pretty speech, enticed him with flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a trap, little knowing it would cost him his life. Well, we never think that looking at porn or having sex outside of marriage would ever cost us our lives, do we? Well, it certainly does. It, it costs us our spiritual lives, our emotional lives, friendships, marriages, career. Man, I know it did mine. And yes, even for some, it cost us our physical lives. And as we go through this series, the last trigger in the sex spiral is hopelessness. And, and my prayer for you is that you can start applying what you learned today. You, you apply it immediately so that you don't have to go through that horrible stage like I did. I mean, and that's what this 
first trigger is for. It's called awareness for a, a great reason, for a big reason, right? It's, it's to recognize that you don't have to stay stuck. You can do something that's healthy and practical and, and godly when you first become triggered. You really can. You can consciously and willfully pray and flee and confess, man. I mean, you are forgiven. You are free from pornography. You are. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by applying these principles to your life. I mean, you will find freedom from pornography, and you'll find freedom in Christ. Lastly, Time Magazine did a cover story on pornography last April. They said that people around the world are actually spending, check this out, 12 million hours per day watching pornography. And here's the deal. That's just one adult website. Man, that's a lot of porn, right? I mean, how many pornographic websites are there? There's 26 million and that's over 2 billion with a B, 2 billion pages of porn. So, you know, this is just another reason that I believe it's so important for all of us to protect all of our devices with Covenant Eyes internet filtering software. I've been using it for years, and whether you're looking for porn or not, it's looking for you. I mean, 2 billion pages of porn? Oh my gosh. So this is another way to protect you and your family. Check it out, CovenantEyes.com. Go there today. Receive a 30-day free trial. All you have to do is put my full name in with no spaces. Well, thank you so much for listening to God, Sex, and You. My name is Dustin Daniels. And if you're in Phoenix, let me invite you to our weekly community group. It's for men. It's for women, husbands, wives, single, divorced, Sleeping on the couch. It doesn't matter. Everyone is welcome. And you're invited to listen to God with us every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. at Northern Hills Community Church. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Purity Pastor. Uh, You can rate this show on iTunes. And I would love to answer your questions or give it a shot anyway. You can go to DustinDanielsRadio.com. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, The kingdom of God isn't just a lot of talk. It's living in God's power. And that power is the very name and the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I love you, and I look forward to our time again tomorrow.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is The Way to Walk based on Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. Let's look at Psalm chapter 1. I thought this is such a great way to begin the year with Psalm 1 and its encouragements and its exhortations to us. In Psalm 1, we're told how to have a blessed life. And I thought, man, this is perfect as we begin a new year. So let's look at the first three verses of our Psalm chapter 1. I want to tell you two at the top. We don't know 
who wrote this psalm. It's kind of called the orphan psalm. We don't know who its parent was, but of course it's inspired. It's the very first psalm. And verse one says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers." Verses one and two expresses the excitement that comes when you think about what happens to a person who delights in God. It says, blessed is, or this person is blessed. And you know, blessed is an okay translation, but the Hebrew really expresses the idea of happy. And so it really says happy. Happiness comes when we are delighting in God and in his word. So note that, hey, I'd really appreciate it if you guys would take notes, whether it's on your computer device or it's by hand. I am absolute believer that if we take some notes, we are gonna remember things, even if it's drawing pictures while you listen. You're gonna learn more, it's true. So verses one and two says, look again, blessed is the man, let's say the person, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. God compares a person's life to a walk, both for the believer and for the unbeliever's lives, they are compared to a walk. Bible says that as Christians, we walk a certain way. And so I was looking through the New Testament and I saw all of these verses that maybe you don't realize that talk about our walking Christ, how we walk, what it looks like. And so I'm looking at them and saying, man, I've got to share these with my brothers and sisters. So it's, it's kind of long, don't try to remember it at all, and I'm not going to give you the references. I just want you to kind of have the feeling of all of this. So listen to what it says, that we walk, as believers, we walk in newness of life. We walk in God's plans. We walk in a way worthy of our calling. We walk by faith. We walk in the spirit. We live and walk in the spirit. We don't walk like mere people anymore. We walk in love. We walk as children of the light. We walk as we have received Christ Jesus, so we walk in him. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We walk and please God. We walk in the light. We walk in a manner as the Lord walked. And we walk according to his commandments to love one another and believe in Jesus. That's the walk that we as believers have. Now, uh, some walk, though, according to the flesh. This is a description of what the Bible says unbelievers walk like. They walk in the futility of their mind. It says that some walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Some walk foolishly, and some walk in the darkness. This happiness that Psalm 1 is talking about 
comes to people who do not, and this is the first thing I would say, they do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, what would the counsel of the wicked look like? I was thinking about that, and here's what I think, okay? And there's probably a lot of other stuff, but I think walking in the counsel of the wicked is counsel that discounts God. God isn't in the picture of the counsel. God isn't trusted in the counsel. I, I want to say, gang, that a lot of times believers will talk to coworkers, maybe relatives, friends who don't know the Lord, and they'll ask them for counsel. Now, I'm not discounting all of that counsel, but I'm saying, really, the people you ought to ask counsel from are those who know and love the Lord, right? And maybe some who have had more experience in the Lord than you have. And so that's walking with counsel that is, we would say, godly counsel rather than those who don't know, know God. And I think that counsel that rejects God as creator is not counsel I want to follow. And uh, a counsel that is from a person that rejects moral absolutes uh, is not a counsel that I would want to receive. The happiness also comes from those who do not stand in the path of sinners. You could say they don't stand around with sinners. That's not the company they keep. Now, listen to me. I am not saying that we're not going to, of course, we're living in a world, right? And the Lord wants me to be salt. He wants you to be light in the world, right? So we're not supposed to live in a little compound someplace, you know. But in the lives we live with everybody around us, we are to influence the world and not the world influence us. Agreed? We're to make an impression on the world and not the world make an impression on us. The world is not to squeeze us into its own mold. We're to be different and the world's going to see us. They're going to see our love for one another, aren't they? And they're going to say, whoa, these people are different. They're going to say, Jesus makes a difference when they look at us. Now, one of the ways that we, that we want to look at this is what is affecting us. And, and here's a little test to take. Are you standing around with the world in such a way that you've become or are becoming callous to the things of God and callous to the things of the world. Are you comfortable now with watching violence for entertainment? I mean, listen, gang, people who see violence all the time don't think it's fun. Are we callous to morality now? Does immorality not even bug us? You know, we're just like, oh, that's part of entertainment. This is not a guilt trip. I'm just asking you to think about these things. Are worldly values kind of becoming our values? Are we becoming insensitive to things that were a big deal to us 15 years ago? See, and so there is this walking, you know, with the world that we don't want to do, and there is the standing with the world, and that means Christian progress has stopped. And then, then he goes on 
to say, the writer goes on to say, that those who are blessed do not sit in the seat of scoffers. You see that in verse 1? They do not sit in the seat of scoffers. We're careful of the company that we now keep. Again, we interact with everybody. We love everybody. We could say, yeah, you know, at work, this guy's my friend. This gal's my friend. They're my coworker. Yeah, I go out to lunch with them. I would, but they are not my company. They're not the people I hang out with all the time because you've got a Christian testimony. And again, you may influence them. That's good. But you got to be so careful that it's not, they're not influencing you. I'm telling you, most people are followers and are not leaders. Are you agreed with that? Most people follow. And so, hey, You may be a follower, and that's great when you're following Jesus, but when you are affected by other people and you kind of end up being led by folks, you got to watch out because that's a point where you don't want to end up sitting down uh, with those who do evil. Hey, how about holding your place here in Psalm 1 and just going over a few pages to Psalm chapter 26. Look at what David says as he talks about integrity. In verses 4 and 5, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Whoa, that sounds kind of radical, doesn't it? But that was his heart. He says, look, I'm not going to hang out with deceivers. I'm not going to hang out with pretenders. And I'm not going to be in the assembly of evildoers I'm not going to sit with the wicked. And so many of society's heroes fall into one of those categories, don't they? Our stars, the popular people. Just listen and let the Holy Spirit apply this to your heart. Sometimes it means we may sit all by ourselves. (laughs) There's no one to sit with except the Lord is sitting by you. Now, I want you to note the downward, going back to Psalm 1, verse 1, I want you to note the downward progression here. You look at the verbs there, and I want you guys to tell me the downward progression. Okay, you see it, just look real fast. Now, you tell me the downward progression. First, there is what? Walking, then there is standing, and then there is what? Sitting. You see the downward progress, this downward trend. First, you walk according to the counsel of sinners. Then you eventually stand in their path. You won't be walking with the Lord. Your spiritual life just stops. And then soon you find yourself sitting with the scoffers of God's truth. That's just the progression. You know, we've got to be aware of falling into the progression of spiritual decay. I think a great example of this, sadly, is a guy by the name of Lot. Anybody ever hear of Lot? How about Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, everybody's heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, how many of you have heard a name, a man called Abraham? Okay, Abraham was Lot's uncle, okay? And Abraham and Lot, they got along fine, and God blessed them so much that, you know, in terms of wealth, their flocks became so huge 
that there was not enough pasture for both of their flocks. And some of their shepherds started fighting over this. And so Abraham wisely said, you know what, we are going to have to separate here. Not, we're not mad at each other, but we're going to have to separate. And you go one way and I'll go another because we just can't hang out together. There's not enough room. And so Abraham said, look, I'm going to let you decide. There's Sodom and Gomorrah down here. Now, again, let's say you don't know the story yet. There's Sodom and Gomorrah, absolutely lush, beautiful area. All right. At that point, it, it was one of the places to live. You know, if you, you were reading the magazine, 10 best places to live, number one would be Sodom or Gomorrah. Okay, so Abraham was up in the plateau and it was kind of dry and arid. And, and so Abraham, being the guy he was, he said, Lot, you can choose whatever you want. And Lot being the kind of guy he was, he says, I want down there. So Lot moved down. Well, that was not the best decision because Lot didn't maintain his testimony. The, the influence of Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't just you know, a sexual deal, it was also pride, it was also oppression. And this whole society was rotten. And rather than Lot making a huge impression on it, it impressed him. And so eventually he was, he was walking with the people of Sodom. He wasn't, you know, doing uh, the sin of Sodom. He wasn't in their sexual sin, but he was walking with them. Pretty soon he was standing with them. And you know what the Bible says? Eventually he was sitting. Actually, he became a judge. And the Bible says he was sitting and making decisions. But he did not make enough influence he was influenced by the city himself so much so that in you know as the story the incident uh, ends lot and his family are delivered from sodom before the judgment of god but his life was ruined by the and his family was ruined by the decisions that he had made absolutely ruined there you see the progress walking standing and then sitting disaster we want to be careful that our lives are influenced by the Lord. And you know, really, our progression ought to be we are sitting with the Lord, then we stand up for Jesus, amen, and then we're what? Walking. We're walking with... So ours ought to be just the opposite of the world. I think that's pretty cool to think about. Now, there are three positive characteristics of the life that God blesses. And we look at verses 2 and 3, and it's just laid out for us right there. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, everybody wants the blessings of verse 3, but in order to have them, we need to meet the conditions of verses 1 and 2, right? The first characteristic of a life that God blesses is you delight in God's word. You delight in God's word. Verse 2 says... But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is a habit of life. 
He meditates day and night. This is the habit. That's what it's communicating to us right here, a habit of life. And I want to say, by the way, this is a great sign that we are regenerated. That's a term that means we're born again or that we're saved. A great sign of it is that you are hungering for God's word. And you don't just come to the word because it's a duty. You know, I really need to, I have to, I should read the Bible. I really should. The word delights means to take great pleasure in something. To take super happiness in it. Job said in Job 23, 12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. David said they're more to be desired than gold. You delight in God's word. The second characteristic of a blessed life is you dwell on God's word. Write it down. You dwell on God's word. Kenneth Hughes in his book that I just, I highly recommend it. Guys, you've got to read it. Uh, Ladies, you can read it too. It's called Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kenneth Hughes, H-U-G-E-S. Disciplines of a Godly Man. I read it every year. And this is what he says. Listen to this. He says, you must remember You can never have a Christian mind without reading the scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. If you're filled with God's word, your life can then be informed and directed by God. Your domestic relationships, your child rearing, your career your ethical decisions, your interior moral life. The way to a Christian mind is through God's word. And I have to say right on Dr. Hughes. When we meditate on the word and take its truths into our hearts, we are in reality feeding on Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirits and they are life. The blessed life is characterized by being saturated with the word of God. The third characteristic of the blessed life is you draw from God's word. You draw from God's word. Now, there are different ways that I, I get into the word. I'm not a person, I'm not going to say I'm not disciplined. A lot of my friends would say I'm not disciplined. I am me, okay? I'm wired like I'm wired. I'm not wired like you. I mean, we could have, you know, different, maybe some of us are more like each other than, than others. Disciplined people say I'm not disciplined. I say they're too disciplined. Okay. I'm not, this, let me just say this. There are times when I come to the word of God and I am just drawn to the word in such a way that I'll sit down in two days, I'll read the entire New Testament. It's just, 
I blast through it. And as I'm blasting through it, some questions will come up. I write them down and then I go to Pastor Brian. I say, Brian, what does this mean? Tell me, give me the answers. Other times, I'm, I'm just reading through a book and I'll just read until I feel like the Lord is telling me something. There's something that, ooh, that's really cool or ooh, I know that's for me. And so I'll stop. And then I'll think about it. That's the idea of meditation. I'll take it with me throughout the day. It could be that's what I get for the week. There's other times when I just kind of fall back. My, my go-to thing is I'll read a psalm for that day and a proverb for that day. And that works for me too. I personally, I know some of you, this is your deal. I personally freak out a little bit with the cards, read the Bible through a year and you check off a box for every single day. I get through about seven of those and then I get behind and then I feel like I can never catch up for the rest of the year. Anybody kind of feel that way, you know? It's my dream to do that someday, all right? But I just kind of approach the word differently, but the idea is I need to be in the word. I want to be in the word. Now, we said when you come to the Word, is it a duty or is it a delight? Now, we want for it to be a delight, right? So this is what I want you to do. I want you to say something different this year than you've said before. I don't want you to say, I need to be in the Word or I have to be in the Word I want you to say, I want to be in the word. Say it right now. I want to be in the word. And like I said before, a need to is a, uh, it's a guilt trip. It's a duty. A want to is a what? Delight. It's a delight. So you say, I want to be in the word. How about one more time? I want to be in the word. You say, well, I don't always stop it. You want to be in the word because if you're a believer, you do. If you're a believer, deep in your heart, you always want to be in the word. You may have the world pull you away. You may have distractions. You may be putting other things as priorities rather than the word. And you know that those things, you know, they're in the way. And God, when you say, I want to be in your word, Lord, he's going to empower you by the Holy Spirit to move. And I'm going to say this. When the Lord says, sit down with me, because remember, for a believer, we go sit, stand, walk, correct? When the Lord says, hey, sit down with me, just sit down. I want to talk to you. Then sit down. All right? I want to talk to you. Now, what if somebody that you just really love says, hey, sit down, I want to talk to you right now. And you say, ah, I can't, I'm so busy. Well, you, you may miss real blessings. You're going to miss what they have to say. It could very well be that when God says to you, sit down, I want to talk to you, and he talks to us primarily through his word. You say, well, I don't know how that works. Just start. And when you feel like God is saying, sit down, talk to me. Well, decide what, what part of the Bible you're going to read. Maybe it's a gospel. Maybe it's one of the letters of Paul. Maybe it's like I talk about the song. Sit down and God, I promise you, he'll speak to you.
What he'll give you many times is exactly what you'll need for that day. It'll be exactly what you need. And so I can tell you how many times I know I have missed what I needed from God because I didn't sit down when he asked me to. Why on earth would he know that there are crazy things coming your way and he would be silent? If you saw something coming in your loved one's life, you would talk to them, wouldn't you? God may not tell you, you know, oh, there's a hurricane coming, it's going to blow your house down. But God would, he may prepare you by saying, you know what? I just want you to trust in me. I just want you to know how much I love you, how much I trust. And see, that's getting you ready for what might be coming. But how many things do we miss? You know, we say, where was God? When I? Well, God was there most likely before. But they just sit down, okay? They just sit down with them. Everybody following me? I don't know if I can get up. Okay. So sit down. Sit down with me. And you draw from God's word. And look, look at what happens when you draw from God's word. Look at verse 3. You're like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, we understand exactly, living in Arizona, we understand what it is when we see, like, we see as, as we're driving out in the desert and we may see a green strip, you know, maybe it's curving. What do we know is there? Water. And it may be a river, you know. It may be a river of some kind. We know there's water there. And so it says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. And then what's going to happen when a tree gets enough water? What's the next thing? It yields its fruit in its season. What else is going to happen? Its leaf does not wither. And then he says, here's the application. In all that he does, he prospers. There are three benefits of being refreshed by the word. It's like a constant source of refreshment and supply. The tree has a hidden, deep life. And the fruit is this. I just want to kind of recap. It is stability. He is a tree firmly planted. Stability in our lives come from deep roots. In our neighborhood, we have uh, some roads. I don't know if you call them boulevards, but they're wide and there's dividers in between. And there's landscaping on on three sides and what happens every time there is a really bad windstorm and rain tell me what always happens to those trees we always have trees falling over and part of it is because they weren't pruned properly the second thing is their roots aren't what deep the reason why their roots aren't deep because I notice the difference I see well the the same tree out in the desert didn't fall over The reason why is they're not watered properly. They're watered with a drip system, which I know is supposed to soak down deep enough, but they don't have that water on long enough. And so the trees are rather shallow, and when the wind comes, they fall over. I mean, the roots are rather, so the trees fall over. Too many Christians are that way. We come and it's just great, you know, we kind of get, we water, think of the hose. That's the way a lot of people water their lawns, right? But you know what? We're in the desert, gang. And, and sometimes just watering with your hose, you think, well, I water today. 
but it didn't soak down deep. I mean, even planting in Arizona is crazy. You want to plant like an orange tree here? What do you got to do? What do you got to dig? The first time I, I planted any kind of a tree, got out my shovel. I'm from Oregon. Lush soil. You just put in your shovel. You know, it's lush earthworms in it. It's just beautiful. I went to dig in. It was doing. Try it again. Doing. What is the matter? And it's like, who poured the sidewalk under my dirt? I hit what we call what? Calici, and that's not an Italian guy next door, okay? I hit this, this hard, it's like concrete almost, and I had to go and borrow a pickaxe to get through that, and I'm saying, is it worth it? I could go to the store to buy oranges, you know? By the time the cost for the water, and the, because you have to buy soil. You can't use the soil that's there. You have to dig it all out, and then you go buy soil, and you put it in there because it's just tough to get the roots to grow. In our spiritual lives, you've got to make sure that you're planted, that you're in the right soil, that the Lord, he is establishing you, and you may need fertilizer, right? Our orange tree, bless its heart, one year, a year before last, it was just fruitful. I mean, it was beautiful to look at. This year, it's like, uh, where's the orange? Oh, we have oranges, too. You know, what's up? Maybe, don't tell me what's up. I, we probably didn't fertilize or we didn't do something right. We'll figure it out. There's something wrong with the roots. Something wrong with the roots. It bears fruit in its season. No fruit tree constantly bears fruit all right there may be two seasons like the fig but usually there is a season of dormancy there's a season of pruning there's a season of budding and setting the fruit and then there's a season where it's ripe and you can pick it and the fruit isn't just for you but you share it right it's that fruit ends up also being for other people so in your Christian life some of you are being pruned right now what a pain some of you are in a dormant state. Now, you're not going to stay there. If you've been there too long, there's something wrong. Some of you are setting forth the fruit. Some of you are blossoming. And some of you, the fruit is ripe. And what is God has done in your life now is just being shared with other people. But there ought to be progress. There ought to be something happening in your life. So there's stability. There's fruitfulness. It says which... Yields its fruit in its season. There's perseverance and its leaf does not wither. If your leaves are withering, if spiritually you're getting weak and sickly, it probably is because you're not getting the right nutrients which come from the word of God and you're not getting enough water which comes from the word of God as well. And then prosperity. It ends by saying in whatever they do, they prosper. I love it. The key to prosperity is being in the word, the wisdom of the word, the encouragement of the word, the exhortations of the word. Now, I think this is a great way to begin a year. I think this is great counsel, great exhortation, a great plan for a new year, don't you? I really do. 
And I think that the words that God gave to Joshua stood at the beginning of a whole new thing. As he stood at the beginning of conquering a promised land that he knew nothing about, that he had no idea what the future was going to hold, God gave him this counsel, and I think it is a great way for us to begin this year. And this is what God spoke to him in Joshua 1.8. God said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. May that be our position and our goal this year through Jesus Christ is my prayer for you. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we are grateful for your encouragement today. And for what we face, we know that as we are saturated with your word, you will bless us, you will prosper us, your plans for us will be made clear. May my brothers and sisters delight in your word. May they tell themselves, I want to be in the word this year. May they be relieved from guilt. And may that desire, that delight be theirs through Jesus Christ. I'm praying for them in Jesus, your name. And everybody said, amen.
This concludes today's series of Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.